like the way I kind of view all of this is like through the rest of the year. So if we look at like January through October, I'm not concerned with making money. I'm concerned with generating as many customers at cost as I can without basically losing money. Um, just because the fact I know our products are good and I know the service and the experience is good overall and they will come back and purchase. Um, and that second purchase is where we make all of our money. We are totally fine breaking even. With that said, during Christmas, we run into this issue every year of capacity because we don't have unlimited capacity, right? Because we go from like maybe 10, 20% capacity year round, which is like 20 part-time people to how do we get to 100, 200 part-time people and scaling that is not easy. Like in-person manufacturing labor and the training and all of that and to run that whole process, it's not like some server where you can just like up the power of it. Like there's a lot more moving pieces to that. Listening to the Rich Ad Poor Ad podcast, where we break down the financial principles that rich advertisers are deploying today to turn advertising into profit and get tons of traffic to their websites without killing their cash. These advertisers, agencies, affiliates, brands are responsible for managing over a billion dollars a year in ad spend. You'll hear about what's working for them today, their rich ads, and we'll roast their epic failures and crappy ads on the internet with poor ads. Let's get into it. All right, all right, everybody. We are back in action with another episode of the Rich Ad Poor Ad podcast, where we dive into what's working, what isn't working, and some badass financial tips. So today we have a special guest. I kind of first came across when I got a random you know, package in the mail, which had some socks in there with my face on them. And shouts out Dennis you, you know, it was a super cool little gesture and a gift and a cool surprise, but to get your face on socks, it's very flattering. But this is the guy behind the scenes, you know, he's launched two different companies, the CEO of three, he's killing it in the manufacturing scene and has some really badass things in the kind of scenario, you know, in the pipeline coming to life, especially with Black Friday, Cyber Monday coming up. I know he mentioned shoot 80% of sales are coming from this time of year. So it's going to be a super juicy, you know, episode with some super valuable information on, you know, manufacturing, inventory, products, etc. So the hype trains up. Brennan, Agronoff man, how's it going? Thanks for jumping on. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I'm excited. Hell yeah. So give everybody a little backstory of kind of what you're getting into. You know, of course, the socks are a big role, but you mentioned you have a ton of other kind of, you know, products, kind of more of the gifts at scale side of things, some really cool things in the pipeline. So why don't you kind of fill everybody in for what you're getting into and some of the projects you're taking part in? For sure. Yeah. So I started like seven years ago doing socks just because I was obsessed with them. Um, and that kind of slowly evolved from like literally me making designs on my computer um, to three or four years later, we started getting into, we saw some of these um, companies pop up that were like putting dogs on socks. And I was like, I can already manufacture socks. Like why not hop into this? This seems like a massive industry. Um, and so hopped into that kind of figured out like, how do you actually allow someone to upload a picture on your site and then turn that into a digital print that comes out the next day and ships out and keep that turnaround time really fast. Um, and so over the past two or three years, once we started to get better and better at that, we started looking at, okay, not only are these incredible gifts because they're personalized and like when you send them to people, like you mentioned, like a pair of socks shows up in the mail with your face or even better, your dog on it. Like you're going to take a step back and be like, wow, like where did this come from? And so being able to do that, I didn't see a lot of people um, at least doing it very well um, in the US because you had a couple large print on demand companies, but the issues you run into are like quality and timing issues. And, and there's some other things there. 
Um, and you also just can't like differentiate that much your product from anybody else's. Anyone else can go order the same exact thing. And so we were already doing the manufacturing and I kind of made a call at that point. I was like, okay, I want to continue building out this manufacturing front so that I basically have control over my entire inventory essentially um, and product line. And so we sort of really jumped into that two or three years ago and like, okay, we're going to nail this manufacturing stuff. Um, and then that kind of coupled along with the backend software side that we've developed to be able to do the customization stuff in real time, um, whether that's names or numbers for teams or like images of people and cropping them and whatnot. There's a whole bunch that kind of goes on in the background. Um, but being able to do that for not only socks, but now we're doing like oven mitts, ties, masks, canvas, blankets, like the whole show of products, right? Like, cause they're all kind of printed the similar, a similar way. Um, and so in a sense, we're like almost our own print on demand provider, um, for our brands. We're, we're the way I think about it is we're like a manufacturing company kind of topped with brands that appear as they're the companies, but really we're the manufacturing company. What brands are y'all's are y'all's basically though? Yeah. So we've got, um, the main one that I started seven years ago, the, the, the main one is called hoop swag. Um, and then we launched a pet one that's called pet party. And then we have another one that's called lit mitts that are oven mitts. Love that name. Yeah, dude. Get lit. <laughs> That's sick. Hell yeah. So I mean, what was probably one of the bigger obstacles? You mentioned kind of more on the software side on the back end and the more probably processes, but what was the more difficult part to kind of scale from socks to other different kind of products with that print on demand style to them? One of the biggest issues we ran into is like I am by no means like technical, but I had like finagled this whole thing to work literally through Google Sheets and like a couple <laughs> Zapier things. Like I, I mean, that's what you do, right? Like I didn't have the money at the time to go hire a full time engineer to build this whole thing. I don't even know what to build. Um, and so a large large portion of this required me myself becoming more technically oriented and understanding how that side works. Um, the fact that there is a back end and that does exist um and and working really hard over the past really year but more so two three years to look at how can we go from my google sheets to something that just does it in the background and works flawlessly um and then also past the software side like as we've been designing all this software we have to keep in mind our manufacturing process because mm -hmm. what's different about what we're doing is like everything is a one-off it's not like we it's not like screen printing where you have to print like 24 shirts like everything is a singular one-off and so how does what you're developing and printing out of a printer translate all the way through the entire manufacturing and fulfillment process? Because traditional fulfillment, the way it's done in a warehouse is not one-off. Like you go pick things from a bin and you pull them back and you ship them out. And it's like, there's no way to do that because your product isn't being made until six hours previous. And so looking at how we sort of architect our entire system internally, um, in keeping that in mind so that we're able to get things out the door as efficiently as possible has added a whole new layer of complexity to it oh i need to think of that little jenny's getting michael over here's socks that's not gonna work holy shit man that's funny so you know on this podcast we'd love to kind of dive into the rich ad aka what is working so i mean we've had guys talk about campaigns funnels offers so i mean what is your rich ad what's working for you Yeah, so one thing um, that we had minor success with last year and I really wanted to dive into as we go into this holiday season um, and we've been seeing pretty successful results from already is, so we generally will run some pretty generic like BuzzFeed looking prospecting ads at the top level and do like our funnel super simple. It's really that and then a bunch of retargeting. Um, but what we did for retargeting this year is we added in this layer of over the past couple months, we've been sending out socks and oven mitts and masks to these, I call them like a dog army essentially. Like it's all the dog accounts on Instagram. 
um, because they're these accounts with like 10, 20, 30 followers who will pretty much post free content for you if you just send them a product because they're just amazed someone found their account and DM them in the first place. Um, <laughs> and so we have this like large amount that we've been sending to for a couple of years just here and there um, as like free influencers, I guess. And so I was like, okay, why don't we approach some of the most successful ones? Um, and we knew there's success based on like discount codes that they're essentially affiliates. Um, so we went to like the most successful ones and we're like, okay, well, let's send you this product or two products. Let's make sure we get like a really high quality image out of this. We approve it and whatnot. And then they do it as a branded post. Um, and so we have this whole middle layer of retargeting that is it's like a dog army of like, if you get, if you look at one of our sock videos, you're going to get spammed with posts from other dog accounts that we're putting the ad spend behind, but they're coming from other dog accounts. Are they um, in the account actually from that? So we don't have access to their audiences. We're just promoting the posts themselves. I was like, um, Ooh. <laughs> yeah, no, no, that is. I do have an even better story about that. Um, this this whole idea actually spun off of last year. I did that for Humane Societies. We got Humane Societies to give us audience access um, and then ran ads from them. We were doing fundraisers with them, but it was just funny because they do a post and you get a text from like a lot of the people who are running the Humane Society stuff are like not necessarily as Facebook savvy as we might be. Um, and so you, I, I remember getting a text from them like, this is so weird. This post has like, 2000 comments i'm like yeah that's because we just spent 10 grand behind it um but that works really well too is like we run um these humane society ads to their own audiences but they normally will just never actually reach their own audience um but when it comes from them a fundraiser like i mean that's one of the highest converting ads we've ever ever run and so that's where this idea spun off of and it's been working really well so far so based on that, you kind of started with some guys with, you know, smaller following counts, 30 to 50 versus, you know, a huge page that could have, you know, 4 million golden retriever lovers, basically. Did you ever see quality go up for the smaller guys because they were just so much more engaged? Or did you ever kind of see some kind of a ratio to where it's like, if they had 50 people, 40 people are going to see the post, they're going to have a good conversion right there versus somebody with 4 million as an audience size? Yeah, yeah. So the one time we have seen the 4 million succeed better is when we have audience access. Mm -hmm. um, when we're at the level of we're just a branded post and we just have access to basically run it against our own audiences, it hasn't mattered as much. Um, if anything, it's actually helped to be smaller because it looks a lot more authentic. Yeah. So I click on the account, they've got 40 followers and like, okay, this person isn't like trying to do anything weird here. Um, but the only other advantage to those larger accounts are generally when you're working with them, like, they're larger accounts, so they know what they're doing more, and the content you got out of them is better, and you can get like unboxing videos and whatnot versus just a simple picture. Um, but we used to run ads on the, the accounts like at Dog, some of the best performing influencer ads I've ever run over the past like five six years, um, and so that there definitely is an advantage to having those larger audiences. Um, but what's so interesting is like so that account, for example, performed phenomenally for us, but then we'll go run on one of those golden retriever pages, and it will just do horribly like it's a total kind of crapshoot what quality of audience is actually following that page man that's interesting there yeah i think the first time i ever heard of anybody doing something similar to that was like probably two years ago with try snow the teeth whitening solutions where he was getting you know gronk mayweather's page running ads from it getting their audiences and i was like dude this is freaking sick man like, no it's same it's same concept because yeah. it's basically like perceived authority right if other people are talking about you it's a lot easier to accept that than if you're just going to go blast yourself out there Oh, 100%. Well, that's a pretty cool little witch ad there. Shit, hell yeah. This episode is brought to you by Funnel Dash's ad card, the only charge card exclusively for your digital ad spend. And if you're an advertiser spending tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars a month on ads, 
and you're in e-commerce and you're looking for more capital or credit to scale, then you're probably familiar with solutions like Shopify Capital, Brex, and ClearBank. The problem with these solutions is the cost of capital is expensive and they take a percentage of your revenue. One of the beauties with AdCard, when you combine it with one of our in-network, of our 5,000 in-network agency partners, you have the opportunity to qualify for free ad capital funding where we'll load up your ad card with an additional $50,000 all the way up to a million dollars of additional capital to deploy on platforms like Facebook, Google, Pinterest, Instagram, YouTube, and more. So if that's you, if you're in e-commerce spending a ton on ads and you're looking for a way to decrease the cost of, of capital, check out ad card. We'll get back to the show. So of course, you know, we all love to talk about what's going super well. But the funnest part about this kind of podcast is our pour out segment where we kind of dive into those embarrassing, you know, things that I thought this would kill it. Maybe it didn't. So, I mean, what's your poor ad? You know, what's something you thought would kind of kill it that just did not work well? Yeah. So for the past, like, I would say since I got into running ads for all of this, we ran off the same template prospecting video pretty much. Like it was the, we had probably eight or nine sections um, that were like little, you know, the BuzzFeed style videos. And we would just kind of like piece and piece them together and swap out the images and whatever. This worked for like two and a half years. Um, and I was like, okay, great. I remember back in August, I was like, great. We're just going to like keep piecing these things together. So going to Christmas and over the past month or two, we spun up, I don't even know how many versions of these things. And they just have been absolutely tanking. Um, so we're, we had to basically get creative with what we're doing on the creative side now. I got out of it probably easier than I should have for the past however long, um, but unfortunate, but our, our same little formula just was not like the metrics are horrible on it this year. Like I remember I was literally looking last week and I was like, wow, that just bombed. Um, so we had to just get more creative with what we're doing. Um, I think we got out of it a little easier than we should have the past couple of years. Um, but that definitely has been my latest like, oof. With those kind of three brands, what do y'all spend on advertising across all platforms? Is it well over six figures? Yeah, so Hoopswag, we actually spend nothing on. That's pretty much existing customer base every year, and we grow that a lot through like fundraising and whatnot. But on Pet Party, we are probably spending normally 100K a month. Um, it was a little bit weird because we're doing masks this year, so we spent a lot more than that. Um, but then during Christmas, I mean, we probably spend three, four, five hundred during November and December. And then on limits, we'll probably spend 200 November and then again in December. So that's, that's there. So you really see most of the sales come in this time of year for that ramp yeah. up. And, you know, man. Yeah. Yeah. So with that poor ad video, I mean, did you, with that kind of more BuzzFeed style video, did that just kind of translate to let's go ahead and try some more user generated content, maybe some more professionally done videos? How did you get out of that? Because that's a very specific kind of template to, to then translate yeah. with. Yeah. So a few years ago, I started doing the, I, I filmed these professional videos and they tanked. And then the BuzzFeed one did well. So I was like, okay, we're going to keep running down this path of like, I would literally shoot it on my iPhone. Like the, I found out like the, like the, the worse the quality, the better the performance. So I was like, whatever, yeah. right? We're just gonna roll with this. Great. So we started doing that. Um, and then, like I said, I think we just got kind of stuck in that loop, I guess. Um, but what we've moved more towards is like, yeah, user generated content, unboxings, openings, like reaction videos. Um, then even videos as simple as like, it's just a 15 second video of us just flashing different user generated content images. Um, Cause one thing we do throughout the whole year, like I mentioned, like we hit up these dog army people and send them 
uh, product all year long consistently just to always be generating content um because come christmas and, and holiday season that's your most valuable ad content we found like pretty much every single time it just always outperforms anything we can shoot professionally so um definitely moving more towards the user generated content side versus like a professionally done ad how many creatives do you think you're going to be churning in the next like three months i mean we've been i set a goal just for like it's really me and one other woman that do a lot of the creatives um we've been kicking out like five to ten a day and just testing and testing and testing um a lot of effort the past week or two because like to turn out five to ten decent quality creatives it's just like a lot of effort um they don't have to be crazy quality because again we're on the lower spectrum here like in terms of pretty crappy quality ads but they look crappy but they work um that's the weird thing yeah i mean i i've always just assumed right it looks like your friend shot it so that's the only thing i can assume is if it shows up in a social feed and it looks like your friend shot it it looks more organic no you're spot on man that's interesting so of course you're ready for this one you know we take a page out of the rich dad poor dad book find a crossroads with market marketing and financial side of things so i mean what kind of financial tip can you share? I mean, it's you're, you're pretty different than most of the audiences we have being in super manufacturing side of things. So I think it's going to be a super juicy one. Yeah, no. So one massive thing for us is cash flow, like more so than general e-com. Like e-com itself is already very like you have to focus on cash flow because you've got to get your inventory and whatnot. We are now trying to stock inventory um, for things that we don't know like what we're going to sell um, in the sense that we... We do have an advantage that we only stock basically like three or four SKUs, right? They're just white because we can print whatever on them. Um, so that that is an advantage to us. But we are ordering back in June hundreds of thousands of products for now, um, along with because we're manufacturing, we have to do all the capital investment in equipment and, and printers. And like these are not cheap things. Like we have 10 printers or something, and they're like five, six grand each, which like it just starts to stack up pretty quickly. Um and so that, and then also the fact that we are manufacturing, there's just stuff. Like, how do you fill an 8,000 square foot warehouse? It just costs money to fill with power racking and all this other stuff and paper and ink and all these other things. And then that, how does that tie into like an e-commerce perspective, right? Like this time of year is generally pretty tight um, cash-wise for us because we're out all of this money and waiting for it to start coming back in Christmas-wise. Um, now, this does tie in actually a lot to what we do with our ad spend though, um, because of the way we've gone through this two or three years, as I'm sure you're familiar with, like the whole delayed attribution thing going into Christmas, um, really looking at historical data on that and being like, okay, which days do we need to spend the most money? Um, which for us ends up coming out to around October 26th, like November 14th, we will spend majority of our money um, versus Black Friday and Cyber Monday because you have your CPMs go up and just cost in general is up because everyone else is on there. Um, and so what we're doing is we're basically purchasing all of our traffic now or during that time period over the next two, three weeks um, when your CPMs necessarily haven't gone up. Um, and yeah, your ROAS is nowhere near as high, but just the way the delayed attribution works, it will be in a month because all those people that you're seeding the market for are going to come back, whether that's through an email list, uh, retargeting, whatever it is, you pick those purchases up. And if you're able to like track previous year's um, attribution, like for example, our like that, that date range I talked about, I believe our average lift over a 28 day period is around like 40, 42% versus oh. the rest of the year, it's around like six to 8%. And so like being aware of that is huge because you know, you can go lose money day of, right? But you're actually making money in a 30, 40, 50 day game. Ooh, 
that's bananas there. So with y'all's model, I mean, or do you look at it from an LTV perspective or are you trying to, you know, make money on the front end with the first sale? How do y'all kind of look at that when it comes to positioning y'all's projections, I guess? Yeah. Yeah. It really depends on timing. So like this, this time period, we're okay breaking even on because generally they're going to get the product and purchase more for Christmas. Like we know we'll hit them with email. Um, like the way I kind of view all of this is like through the rest of the year. So if we look at like January through October, I'm not concerned with making money. I'm concerned with generating as many customers at cost as I can without basically losing money. Um, just because the fact I know our products are good and I know the service and the experience is good overall and they will come back and purchase. Um, and that second purchase is where we make all of our money. We are totally fine breaking even. With that said, during Christmas, we run into this issue every year of capacity because we don't have unlimited capacity, right? Because we go from like maybe 10, 20% capacity year round, which is like 20 part-time people to how do we get to 100, 200 part-time people and scaling that is not easy. Like in-person manufacturing labor and the training and all of that and to run that whole process, it's not like some server where you can just like up the power of it. Like there's a lot more moving pieces to that. Um, and so we look at how can we kind of flatten that curve out. And during Christmas, we have to start optimizing for profitability essentially um, because we don't want to sell things we can't ship. And so we start looking at, okay, how can we basically, like, I would rather make money off my email list than I would off spending ads on Facebook because it's just way more profitable. Um, and what so it's just of, constantly analyzing. What percent of revenue do y'all do from email out of curiosity? So this, I'm actually super excited for this. Last year we were on MailChimp. I had no idea how bad MailChimp was. <laughs> um, no idea. We were literally getting like two to 3% open rates. Um, and now that we're on Clavio, we're like 20, 30% open rates, like consistently we've been like sending three, four emails a week. Like, and we did okay revenue. I think we probably did maybe five, 10% revenue off of our MailChimp thing with like a 2% open rate. And yeah. so I'm so excited to go into Christmas this year. I'm like, our list is like four times the size. The open rate is like five, six times what it was. I'm like, this has got to be like a solid, um, going into Christmas. But I, right now I believe we're doing 20, 25% email right now. That's sick, man. Hell yeah. Yeah, I'm doing a ton of video views and engagement campaigns, which I don't do normally year-round just to feed the beast because retargeting is going to be the, the main bread exactly. and attribution. Exactly. I mean, I think that's a key thing there everybody has to think about because it's, it's going to be a weird Q4, man. <laughs> I, no, yeah, and that's the hard part. Is like we were talking about this before we, we started recording, right? But like no one knows what's going There's so many... Like, I mean, we've seen what 2020 has given us so far. It's like, who knows? We, we're still got two and a half months left. Like, no. who knows what's going to happen? And so trying to react to that from a like advertising perspective. And then also we look at this year, like for e-com, right? You have all these fulfillment deadlines that are they going to be met or not by postal providers? We don't really know. So um, that'll be very interesting. I was just looking at a breakdown of FedEx and they're like, Hey, if you get this FedEx here, you're, you're you know, the last day you could should be you know, put in orders is December 18th or something. And I'm like, that's kind of cool at least, but who knows how accurate that's going to be come three weeks from now or some shit, you know? Exactly. It's like, okay, that's like, I, we ship mainly like USPS first class. And like, I know the date I saw it was like the 20th, but I'm like, there's nothing that stops them from like on the 12th being like, Oh, sorry, it's actually the 13th. Um, like otherwise your packages are going to get there. So we'll see. Man, welcome to the wild, wild west. <laughs> so, man, give everybody an idea, kind of, what do you have next? How can we support you? How can people kind of get in touch with you? Give everybody kind of a rundown of what's cooking in the kitchen next. Yeah, yeah. So, the thing I'm really excited about next is, like I mentioned briefly, like we've been building software for a year or so now that's allowed us to really like optimize internally. And now we're like, okay, how do we take that next step? Um, and and one thing that's huge for like that I've seen success with personally is like this concept of gifting at scale, right? So 
you meet someone at a conference or you want to get in touch with someone, how, how do you go about doing that? Um, and like it, we kind of ran across the idea by accident, honestly, by sending people socks with their faces in the, in the mail, like, but as I'm sure you can attest to, like, you notice, you're like, Oh my God, like I got a pair of socks in the mail. Um, and so we kind of took that. We're like, okay, wow. Like people, like I can guarantee you if I send someone a pair of socks, nine out of 10 times, they'll post on Facebook about you, like saying, thank you. And like, how much is that worth is the question. Um, and generally it's a lot, especially in a B2B world where you have deals that are closing for upwards of a thousand, two thousand dollars, whether that's an agency or like even a local business, right? Like a chiropractor or a dentist, whatever it is. So how can we sort of automatically, um, kind of send out these gifts? And so we've looked at like, how can we implement triggers based on into different CRMs, right? Based on different events, like this person spent X amount over two months or whatever those triggers are, how can we build triggers that allow you to automatically send products out um, that are fully customized, come with like a note, because we know that like retention in whatever way that works in your business will go up. um, And those people will become a lot more like personally connected to you. Um, And I know you mentioned like you got a handwritten note from a company and it caused you to purchase $500 worth of stuff from them. And it's like, (laughs) what is is the ROI on that, right? It's just a different kind of advertising. It's kind of how I view it. but being able to do that, not only from like a business perspective, but also just like a personal relationship perspective and being able to build better relationships um, via these gifts and like actual meaningful things um, is, is super cool. And like I said, we do all the manufacturing. So for us, that's like what we're looking at is how can we take that off the plate for other people? Because for someone else to go create, even if you do print on demand, right, you have to provide the base artwork and whatnot. Like all we take is a face. It's like you send us a face and what product you want and the note and it, it's just done. Um, so hopefully we're launching that in January, February. Like, I'm really excited about that. Cause I, I, I just personally believe in it so much. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of what we're working towards, but if you ever do need to get a hold of me, like shoot me a message, I respond to pretty much anything. I am, uh, my email is literally first Brennan Agronoff 74 gmail.com. I'm on Instagram, <laughs> Brennan.Agronoff, uh, Twitter, Brennan Agronoff. Like I got a unique name, so I'm not hard to find, but, um, Yeah. Hell yeah. And we'll pop those in the show notes so everybody can kind of find you. But man, this has been an absolute blast. Thanks for kind of sharing all those goodies. No, yeah, we went through a lot of good stuff. Yeah, man. Well, hey, shouts out. Thanks for coming on. (laughs) Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of the Rich Ad Poor Ed podcast. If you're like me and listen to podcasts on the go, go ahead and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and richadpoored.com slash podcast. And if you absolutely love the show, go ahead and leave a review and a comment, share with a friend. If you do, take a copy, screenshot of it, email me, zach at funnel-dash.com, show me you left a review, and I'll give you a free copy of the Rich Ad Poor Ed book. To learn more about the book, go to richadpoored.com. To leave a review, go to richadpored.com slash review. Thanks again.